Hey, uh, we, are, we are in this series, The Blessed Life, um, based on a, loosely, loosely based on a book by Robert Morris called The Blessed Life. I encourage you to read it. We've got a copy if you, if you want to delve more into it. Um, and last week, Maya brought an amazing word about, really about the heart of finances, about the deceitfulness of wealth. And I encourage you, get on our website. You can go and have a listen to that. Um, get yourself up to speed. But I, I, we, we talk about money here in church because Jesus talked about money. He talked about it a lot. In fact, even in the parables that he's not directly talking about money, he talks about money. Point in case, the parable of the sower. Uh, it's in Matthew 13, but some of you will know it. Um, just, just to get you up to speed, Jesus says the kingdom of God's like a, a farmer who, who sows seed. And uh, some of the seed, it falls on a path, and the birds come and they, they peck it away at it. And some of it, it, it falls on rocky ground, and it, and it grows up quickly, but then uh, a harsh weather comes in it and, it, and it dies away. And some of it, it, it falls on, on, on ground amongst thorns, amongst weeds, and, and those grow up and they choke out the, uh, the, the good seed. And Jesus goes on, and some of it falls on, on good soil, and it produces a harvest, and and Jesus is talking in parables, and his disciples are, well, what does this mean, Jesus? We don't understand. And he breaks it down for them. And he says, you know, the, the seed that, that falls on the path and is pegged away by the birds, that's, that's the, the word that I speak that the enemy comes and he snatches away very quickly. And, and if you're here and you're a Christian here today, then that's not you because you've received the word and it hasn't been snatched away. But you've probably met many people in your world Who've, who've, who've come to know Jesus and they've started along that path, but very quickly they've been snatched. It's been snatched away from them. Or possibly it's, it's fallen like the seed on, the, on the, the kind of rocky soil and it's taken root a little bit, but then hard stuff has happened. Adverse conditions in their lives. Challenges have come up and just given those, those forces against them, it hasn't taken root. It hasn't taken root in relationship with Jesus and relationship with one another and therefore it's, it's withered and it's died. But then Jesus says, and this is the one I, I want to, uh, that, that really addresses money to us. In Matthew 13, 22, he says, we've got it up there, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. You see, I actually think that speaks to a lot of us today. That speaks to the Western world and the Western church a lot. You see, we receive the word, and the word can be God's word of salvation, but it's wider than that. It's his spoken word continually to us, him guiding us and leading us. But what happens? The worries of this world, of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, it grows up alongside it, and it chokes it out. And I see so many Christians today who live in that space. They're worried about their mortgage. They're worried about their getting enough money to, to pay the fees for their kids' schooling. They're worried enough to, even to get enough money to pay the bills, to, to, to feed their kids, to, to do the things they want to do. And they're, they're worried, the deceitfulness, of all they're chasing things. They're like, oh, if I get this, then I will be fulfilled. 
if I have this house and this car and this whatever, and I go on these holidays, then that, and that, and it's deceitful. And it chokes out the plan that God has. It chokes out the very words that Jesus speaks into our lives. Jesus is speaking all the time, but we're too busy listening to the things of the world. We're too busy being distracted by, oh, look at that shiny thing. Oh, we're like, we're like mad pies. We're just like, oh, oh, and, and we're distracted. And it's deceitful. And we've got to smarten up, church. Man, I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting a bit in your face this morning. Just, just chill. It's okay. It's okay. But, it, but the, the thing is, God has placed dis- eternity in our hearts, Ecclesiastes says. We are destined for great things. We are destined for good things, far bigger than chasing the things of the world. That's the deceitfulness of the wealth. That's the the worries of this world. See, the enemy would keep us small. It's actually incredibly small-minded to chase the big house and the yacht and the car and whatever it is. The world would say, you've made it then, but that is actually small. That is the small things of life. That's where we get, we're, we're destined for greatness. We're destined to change our world. Do you believe that, church? You're destined to change your world. You're destined to change your workplace, to change your family, to change Timaru. But we get caught up in the worries of the world, the deceitfulness, and the word that God has placed in our heart gets choked out. It gets choked out. The thing is, that we need to address money in our lives. You could think, oh, well, if, if money is just small, if it's not important, why do we even bother with it? Why don't we just put it to the side and ignore it? Well, it's because you can't. <laughs> you still have bills to pay. And, and like it or not, money is part of the world. And in fact, money is a test. See, in, in God's economy... Money is a test for our hearts. It's a test of where we are really at. And actually, in God's economy, money is worthless. If you were to weigh one person with all the wealth, all the wealth of the world, that is still heavier. That is still of more worth, of more weight than everything in the world. So to God, that's nothing. But to us, that becomes too much. And that's why it's a test. That's why it is the test. You don't believe, check this out. This is what Jesus says in Luke 16, 10, 11. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have been not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Worldly wealth? True riches. See, in God's eyes, true riches are you and I. True riches are the people in our world. True riches are nothing that the world holds up. It's not your finances, your stuff. That is just, well, Jesus says, very little. And we need to be found trustworthy with the very little if we are to be entrusted with much. 
See, money is actually just a test of our hearts. And I think too often, especially in the West, we fail that test miserably because we get distracted and we chase after the stuff, the worldly wealth. Because the, the way that, that God works is, and, and I don't know about you, but he rewards those who are faithful with that stuff. Anybody like to be rewarded? I like to be rewarded. I'll tell you a funny story. Yesterday, I, uh, so I like to do a bit of cycling, and there's this, this app I have on my phone called Strava. Anybody know what Strava is? Okay, I need to exp- some explanations here. Okay, so it's like Map My Run. It, it, you basically, you, you turn it on, and it, and it charts your, your, your ride. You can do it for running and swimming as well, but I do it for riding. And, uh, and on it, and a whole lot of other people, thousands and thousands of other people do it as well. And, um, and there are these segments. So that it could be a climb, it could be a stretch of road, and uh, it measures everybody who does it, and it, and it ranks you, Right? Yeah, yeah. And, and so, so the idea is that you want to be, so that if you have the fastest time in that segment, you get the KOM, the king of the mountain, and you get a little crown uh, emblem next to, next to your name. You're like, and I'm, okay, it's my personality type. I know this about me. May has done an Enneagram thing. I'm a type three, which is an achiever. And so for me, these things are important. Anyway, so, so yesterday I'd found this segment. I was like, eh, that time's not that fast on that. I, could, I reckon I could beat that. And so I go out and I go on this big ride. And it's a long segment. It's a 30K segment there and back. Um, and, uh, and, I, and, I know, and I've got my speedo. So I know that, yeah, I think I've beaten it. I've smashed it. So I get home and then I stop my phone, which has recorded it. And I'm, I'm like, okay, let's see. Let's see it. And it doesn't come up. And I'm like, oh, but I, but I know that I did it. Or maybe, because it was a there and back, I thought, oh, maybe I didn't go quite far enough in my turnaround. And I just didn't quite, you know, hit the GPS beacon in the sky. And, and I, I don't know, but I was very disappointed. But then I, was really, I realized something about myself. I was like, why am I doing this? <laughs> for whose recognition am I living for? The other people on Strava? <laughs> I, I don't know. But, but, but rest assured... This morning, when I, went, when I maybe just had a cheeky look at Strava again, uh, I might not be addicted. Um, <clears throat> I was there. <laughs> it had restored my KOM. So I, I now own that segment. Don't go out and beat it. I'll be disappointed. Anyway, my point is we like to be rewarded, even if it's just with a little crown on some uh, thing on your <laughs> Strava segment. But you see, God is a rewarder. I think we, we miss this in the church often because we, we live by grace and, and grace is important. And I'm not saying that you are not saved by grace. In fact, this is this amazing scripture, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. It's not by your works. It's not by your achievements that you are saved. We are saved by grace. Praise God. It's all on him, it's not on us. However, we are saved by grace, but God is still a rewarder. You see, the very next verse, it says in Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we are not saved by our good works, but we are saved for good works. 
there's a, there's a major distinction there. But we are saved to do good works because of the grace we have received. And God does reward those good works. You see, our position in heaven is secured by faith. But, but what we do there, what it looks like for us, will potentially be changed by what we do in the here and now. There is a, there, there is a very real sense that God rewards those who seek after him. Don't, don't believe me, Hebrews 11, 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he what? That he what? Come on, church, uh, the front row, no. What, what does he do? He rewards those who earnestly seek him. He rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, that reward can come in many forms, but I know every time that I've sought God, I've sought his will, I've sought his purposes, I've sought his face, there, it's come back to me. There's been a reward. There's been a sense of him doing something in my life. And we forget this sometimes as Christians. We get a bit lazy. We think, oh, well, we're saved by grace, so we just cruise to heaven. Yeah, we are saved by grace. But God is still a rewarder of those who earnestly, diligently seek Him. And so today, we're going to look at a passage about that sense of reward. And, and before we get there, the, the whole idea, the whole concept is called stewardship. Now, it's not a term that we use very much nowadays. The, the only time you perhaps hear it is like um, when you're flying. You have an air steward or an air stewardess, uh, and they, what do they do? They serve you. That's their role. Steward, a couple of hundred years ago in, in, in England, they were the person who would look after the property, look after the land, on behalf of the property owner or the Lord, they were the steward. Now, see, we foolishly think in our Western consumer mindset that the stuff we own, we own. We don't own it. The house, the car, the food, the stuff, even the very clothes on your back, they're not yours. You are a steward of them. See, we are a steward. We are the person who looks after that, those things on behalf of the Lord, our Lord, Jesus. And there's a massive distinction there. So, so this is what this passage is talking about, this idea of being a steward. So let's dive into it. Let's read through it. Luke 19. Starting in verse 11. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. So he's talking about the kingdom of God. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minus. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your, your, mina, your miner has earned ten more. 
Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your miner has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your miner. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his miner away from him and give it to the one who has 10 miners. Sir, they said, he already has 10. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. This is a crazy story. What happened to nice, friendly, kind, generous Jesus? Like seriously, where did he go? He's, he's, he's literally saying, rob from the poor and give to the rich. This is, this is anti-Robin Hood here. This is... This doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem, this is, it's Jesus turned capitalist on us? What's this about? How does this work? It's interesting, this this version, there's another uh, corresponding story in Matthew talks about uh, talents. In this version, each person is given the same. They're given one minor. Ten of them, given one minor each. And the other one, uh, they're given talents and they're given a different amount. I think it's probably truer if we think about this in context of our lives to think that we've all been given different amounts. Because how many you know it's not a level playing field? Some, you know, some have been born in countries where they don't have very much at all. Some of us are more talented in, in some ways. Some of us are better looking than others. Uh, it's not a fair world uh, that, that we live in, okay? Um, it's just the way it is. But whether we're given the same amount or a different amount, is not actually the point. The point is what we do with what we're given. And that's the point that Jesus is making here. You've given one minus, minor and you, you turned it into five. Well done. You're going to get five cities. Now, that, that, that seems crazy. I don't know exactly how much a minor was worth, but let's say it's a thousand dollars. Started with a thousand dollars, he earned five thousand with that, and then he's given five cities. That's exponential. And notice also that that when you're given cities, it's not just the wealth. You're given responsibility with people. There's a there's a sense of that true riches. You you had just money, but now you actually have authority over people. You have in, input into people's lives. You can change people's lives. So there's a sense there that actually when you're faithful with a little, you'll be given more. It's kind of how, it's, it's kind of a form of capitalism in a way. It's the kingdom of God is, is we've got to get used to this because this is how Jesus says things are. We, sometimes in our Christian world, we think that's, that's, that's not fair. But you see, God is a very shrewd, wise God. 
He's a wise investor. And he's, if, he's looking for a good place to invest in. Because he wants his kingdom to be established. He wants it to grow. And he's not going to give it to someone who's not going to do anything with it. If you can't be faithful with $500 a week, what makes you think God's going to give you $5,000? He's not. He's not going to entrust you with more unless you're faithful with the little that you have. Now, what we, what we wrongly think in New Zealand, I think, a couple of things. Firstly, we think we don't have much. That's rubbish. If you live in New Zealand, and last time I checked, yeah, you're all living in New Zealand. We have, we are like at least top 10% in the world. So you have an abundance of, of, of wealth, of opportunity, of stuff. You have an abundance. You've got no excuse there. But we also, in our, in our minds, we think, oh, I, I haven't been given much. And so I don't, I, this stewardship thing, that's for those who are good business people. That's for those who have been given more. That's for those who have, you know, um, are made that way. Rubbish again. This is what Jesus says. Luke 16, 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. You see, if you feel like you haven't got much, well, first of all, that's not true. But secondly, that's okay. That's fine. Jesus wants you to be faithful with what you have. Right now with what you've got, stop making excuses. Stop saying, when I get that job, when I have this amount of security, when I've paid off this amount of my mortgage, when I've done this, when I've got this study out of the way, when my kids are through, when, 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 when and you die. <laughs> like seriously, now. Now is the time to be faithful with what you've got. Now, and... and it's not yesterday. It's okay if you haven't been faithful to what you've got. You say, God is gracious. He's not interested in you yesterday. He's interested in you right now and your future. And today is the day to start being faithful with what you've been given. Am I ruffling some feathers today? I hope so. I really do. Because we had a, we had a prophetic word as a church from... Uh, Pastor Bruce Monk, Monk who, who established this movement, he said that in this church, we're, we're going to have a spirit of generosity. But I tell you what, that spirit of generosity will not flow unless we're good stewards of what we have. Because God will not give anything to us unless we are faithful with what we have now. So, having said all that, how do we do it? I want to be really practical today. Who likes being practical I don't like just theory. I want to get practical. So my first point, if you want to be faithful steward of what you've been given, the first thing you need to do is you need to get out of debt. Or you need to avoid debt if you are not already in debt. Romans 13.8 says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Now, in New Zealand today, it's pretty hard to buy a house without getting into debt, right? Yeah, I, I get that. A couple of thoughts around that. Firstly, who said home ownership is the be all and end all? 
Like in New Zealand, we have it, we have it as the holy grail. We must own our own house. And when we remain own our own house, we've, we've kind of made it. Large numbers of countries in the world, home ownership isn't a thing. They, they, they live their lives renting, and that is fine. And I tell you what, I don't read it in the Bible that you have to own your own home, that that's part of establishing the kingdom of God. It's not there. So first of all, put that little idol off to the side. <laughs> yes, God may want you to own your own home, and that may happen in time, but it's not the be all and end all. It, it comes with responsibilities. If you own your own home, you've got to fix it. You can't just say, landlord, this, fix this, please. Um, that would be nice sometimes. But first of all, that's not the be all and end all. The next thing I'd say, okay, you're looking at buying your own home, and you're thinking, oh, man, I have to, I have to get some debt. I have to embrace some debt. Can I say, get into as little debt as possible? You see, you'll go to the bank, and the bank will say, yes, sir, you can have this much money. And you'll go, what? Sweet. And you start looking on trade me and property, whatever, and you'll be like, wow, I can have this house. And, but without realizing that if you get into that much debt, you will be paying it off and the interest for the rest of your life, and you'll be tied to the bank. And there'll be no wiggle room. When Mary and I bought our first house, the bank did that. They were like, they said, you can have this much. And we were like, well, sweet. And we did. We started looking at houses, and we realized it was just the two of us. We didn't need this big place that we were eyeing up. And, uh, and we, we, we saw reason. We ended up buying a place. About half the amount the bank was offering to, half the amount that we could have. But the, the thing is, that's enabled us to get free of debt quicker. Because the way it works, obviously, you pay off your interest as well. And if you get a bigger place, you're paying off more of the interest rather than the capital. And so you're always behind the eight ball. When it, when it comes to debt, get a, I understand that sometimes there's necessary debt in owning a house, in New Zealand at least, at the moment. But get into as little debt as possible. But that should, actually, I think that should be the only debt you get into. Don't, no other form of debt. Don't go and buy a car on, on, on your credit card. Don't go and hire purchase. Don't go and, and some of you are giggling because possibly you've done this. Okay, get out of that debt. It's not wise debt. First of all, I mean, cars, they just, as soon as you buy them, they depreciate. Uh, you've got to be a real wheeler dealer to be able to make money on cars. And probably you shouldn't be a wheeler dealer. Um, just saying. But uh, so, so essentially, avoid all debt if you can. Credit cards, I mean, we, use, we have a credit card. We use it as a, debt card, a debit card. So we pay it off every month, you know, because if you don't, there's 20% interest. It's crazy. So, but just, just avoid debt. The other, the other thing I'd say around that, around just while we're getting really practical, is when it comes to, to big decisions, you know, purchases uh, of, of things, and even smaller items, I'm not talking about which cereal you choose in the supermarket, but slightly bigger, um, pray about it. Like, it sounds obvious, but do we do it? Do we actually stop? Because I reckon like 90% of bad financial decisions are, are we buy things on impulse. We buy things, oh, sparkly. We want that, and we buy them. Two, two things, pray about it and sleep on it. Pray about it and sleep on it. 
Don't hit the button. Because, you know, the world knows that you, you buy on impulse. So it will have things like last in stock and, oh, there's somebody else about to buy this. And they'll trick you into go, oh, I've got to do it now. I've got to do it now. No, you don't have to do it now. And in fact, the far wiser thing is to stop, is to pray about it, is to talk to your spouse, <laughs> is to sleep on it, and then maybe make that purchase the next day, maybe. We need to, we need to get, actually, I've got a scripture, another scripture around getting out of debt. Because the thing is, the wicked borrow and do not repay. Because you could get in the, in the, the situation where you borrow and you, you, you can't get out of it. But the righteous give generously. See, I, I think we all want to be in a place where we can be generous, where we can be generous to the world. You, who wants to be a generous person? The trouble is with debt is that it, it prevents us from doing that. So we have to get out of that debt. Now, some of you might be thinking, actually, I'm in debt, and I'm in a lot of debt, and I've tried to get out of it, and I can't. That's okay. Don't do it alone. The enemy is... One of his greatest tricks is to isolate you and and to make you think, oh, I'm in this by myself. I can't do it. No, there are people who want to help. If you want to talk about it, if you want to pray about it, if you want some practical help, come and talk to me. We've got a a thing called CAP, Christians Against Poverty. There's a uh, Richie's trained in it, and, and there's a process of helping people get through, get out of debt, and get on a firm, solid footing financially. So there are ways out of it. Don't sit there and think, oh, all very well for you, but I'm already well into debt. No, you can get out. And when you, can, when you get out, this is what happens. You, you, you free yourself up to be able to give generously. My second point, okay, so we've got it out of debt. Uh, we're making wise financial decisions. My, my second practical hint would be to realize who your provider is. And to not manipulate either people or circumstances. You know, I don't know if you've seen or you know people or you've probably all been on the receiving end of, getting, of being swindled, of, of getting a bum deal, of, being, of thinking, oh, actually, I paid more than I should have for that, or something like that. You see, when, when we see ourselves or our boss or our job as our provider, then we start to manipulate circumstances to try and get by. We start to try and make things happen so that we have more or that we have enough. And that's when we, when we kind of tiptoe along the lines of, oh, well, actually, it's probably not worth that much, but if I can get that for it, then I'll do that. We're told to love one another as we love ourselves. How, why, why, why do we think that what we do with our money and our stuff is, is excused? Why do we think that business and financial interactions are excused from that? If you think you can get one over one, you, you, you will. Because, hey, they're dumb enough to fall for it. No, that's not the way the kingdom of God works. That's not loving your neighbor at all. But when we realize that everything we have is from God, when we realize that He is our provider, then we're free to just sell things for what they're worth. We're free to just be honest 
in our dealings. We're free to, to not have to work extra hours all the time to try and get ahead. We're free because we realize, actually, I don't provide for my family. God does. I don't provide for my stuff. God does. We need, you might think that's theory, but that's practical as well. When you get that heart, actually, everything I have, everything, I'm just a steward of this. And I'm, you're not going to leave this world with the shirt on your back. You don't leave with nothing. Actually, you do leave with nothing. That's bad grammar. You leave with nothing. <laughs> so you, why, why worry about it? You know, Jesus says, look at the birds of the sky. They don't worry. They, don't, they just fly around. And God cares for you so much more than them. So we need, to, we need to realize that God is our provider and we need to not manipulate either our work or our, our, our financial situations to try and get by. The scripture for that, I should back it up with scripture. There you go. Philippians 4.19 is this. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. He will meet all your needs. He will meet all your needs. Do you believe that? Good. He will meet all your needs according to his riches, his glory in Christ Jesus. And finally, my last piece of advice to get practical about how we are good stewards is simply this. Give. Give. Jesus says, Acts 20, 25, they're remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself. He said, it is more blessed to what? To give. To what? To give than to receive. More blessed to give than to receive. We think, oh, that's, that's nice. That's true. Mm, Jesus, that's smart. And we possibly even like to quote Michael Jones. When asked, you know who Michael Jones is? Great all black. When asked, you know, when he was a, an up-and-coming all black and he was smashing people in, in tackles and they, they, they said to him, you know, how can you... Uh, reconcile that with your Christian faith that you hit people so hard and he said well it's Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive (laughs) now I agree with Michael Jones and that one but you see we, we we think oh yeah that's nice Jesus but do we do it because if we did it we would be giving far more right when was the last time you just gave something to someone? Not for a birthday, not for Christmas, not because you're trying to make up because you did something wrong, husband or wife, not for Valentine's, just gave something. It's more blessed to give than to receive. It's so counter the world because the world is take, 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 give me, give me, give me. Can I invite keys up? Be awesome. Thanks, Roseanne. We need to get this truth in us. We need to, to grasp this because it will change the world around us. See, the world doesn't understand generosity. And they will always be thinking, why are you doing this? What do you want from me? There's a, there'll be a mistrustfulness there because they, the, it always works tit for tat. You know, you're doing this for me, so what do you want? What do you want back? No, no, we just give. 
Because Jesus says, it's blessed too. And I want to be blessed. And I tell you what, I'm still growing in this, but over the years, I've, I've been blessed enough to be able to give away bikes. I love bikes. You might know. Cars, fridges, stuff, money, thousands of dollars of money. And I don't say this to brag. I say this because it's, it frees me. The ties to my stuff are loosened when I give. And I can live light. I can live not tied down going from paycheck to paycheck because I, I'm free to give. Why don't you stand to your feet here this morning? This has been a challenging word, but I'm going to make it just one more challenge. And we're getting practical here, church, because we are a practical church. We are called equippers for a reason. I want to equip you in your finances. So what we're going to do is this. We're going to pray. You're going to pray and you're going to ask for a number. And then you're going to ask for a person. And then you're going to give that number to that person. Pretty simple. If you're married, you might want to talk it over with your spouse or you might want to get individual amounts. But I want you to very practically ask God, okay, God, and I'm not talking five bucks. You know, oh, sorry. (laughs) But I think, you know, when it costs us something, there's greater power in that. So, you know, I'm, it's between you and God. I'm not, I'm not keeping any record here. And it doesn't have to be someone in the church. It can be. But it can be, it can be a, a family member, a colleague, someone you know that's in need. But I want you to ask, okay, God, how much and who do you want me to give this to? And I'm believing that this is going to break something open in your life. That as you give with no other reason, no other uh, motive, just purely because Jesus says it's blessed to give. That that a spirit of generosity is going to break open in your life. A spirit of generosity is going to break open in our church. And we're going to experience the joy of giving and not expecting anything in return. Of giving and being a blessing to people. Because that's the thing. You get to answer prayers when you give. You get to be a blessing in people's worlds in unexplained, amazing ways when you give. Imagine, let's say there's 50 people in this room. If all of you give, that's 50 people who have been touched by God. Just like that. That's 50 people whose lives have been changed a little bit, who have been nudged a little bit closer to knowing God. So why don't we right now, let's just take a moment. Close your eyes, and in this moment, let's ask God. Lord God, give us a number. Give us an amount. And Father, show us a person or people that you want us to give that to. Awesome. I generally find that, that God works pretty quickly in these situations. So hopefully you've got a number, you've got a name. If you don't, you can go away and pray about it. I, I pray that you've got it now because I know that if you walk out of this room, you'll probably forget about this. But I want you to make a note on your phone or, or write it down or, or make sure you remember this. If you've got your partner here, hold each other accountable around this. And I want to hear testimonies. Oh, next week, we have a testimony every week. Next week, I want to hear a testimony of where you've given and God is blessed.
that person. Hey, there's one more group of people I want to pray for this morning. That's if you're here and you haven't given your life to this Jesus. You know, Jesus says He came to seek and save those who are lost. If you don't know Him, you are lost. You might not realize you're lost, but deep inside, you're lost. And and in fact, if you were something terrible would happen to you today and you were to die, you wouldn't know where you were going. You're lost. Jesus is here to find you. He said, He's seeking you. He wants to save you. But to do that, you have to open your hearts to Him. You have to welcome Him in. So just with every eye closed and He bowed in this place, if you're here this morning and you know your life isn't right with Jesus, you know that actually you need to come into relationship with Him. And just in this moment,